Let us pray. Father, speak to us even now by your word. Conform us more and more to the image of your son, Jesus Christ. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. If you have your Bibles or devices with Scripture on them with you, I'd invite you to take them out and turn to our reading from Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to focus just on two verses in Philippians chapter 3 primarily today, verses 15 through 16. We're talking today about spiritual maturity, and Paul even in Philippians chapter 3 talks about the idea of imitating him, for believers to imitate him, but that does not mean to somehow blind allegiance or blind following. Anytime we place our eyes on an individual and follow them blindly, we're asking for trouble because we put that individual in a place that is not appropriate for him or her because we put them in the place of God Almighty alone, who we are to fix our eyes on and to follow. Kind of a funny example of the danger of that. Back when Calvin Coolidge was president of the United States in the 1920s, Many of you know Calvin Coolidge was originally from Vermont, even though he had served as governor of, I believe it was Connecticut. Um, And Coolidge had a lot of friends, and his father lived in rural Vermont. He was actually at his father's kitchen table when he was sworn in as president after Warren G. Harding died. But a number of his family friends from Vermont came to the White House, and they were rather nervous about what to do and about the protocols and proper manners at the table as the Coolidge's had invited them to the White House for dinner, which was quite an honor. And so they had talked in advance and decided whatever the president did, they would follow him exactly. So after dinner, as dessert came, the coffee was served and Calvin Coolidge took his coffee cup and poured his coffee into the saucer. So they poured their coffee into the saucer. Then Calvin Coolidge added a little bit of cream and sugar and stirred it on the saucer. So they did that as well. And then the president picked up his saucer, leaned over and set it on the floor for the cat. (laughs) True story. The reality is for us to be spiritually healthy as believers, we must be growing in our faith. And so that's what our focus is today. Growth really is not an option. For us to be spiritually healthy, we have to continue growing. It's, it's not an option for the new believer. First Peter chapter 2 reminds us like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. But neither is it an option for a person who has been serving Christ for a long time, a person who has grown and is strong and is experienced in his or her walk as a Christian. Colossians 1.10 tells us, so as, to walk in a matter of the worth, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And in 2 Thessalonians 1.3 we read, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. The idea here is that your faith is growing exceedingly or your faith is growing more and more abundant. It's really very much like the picture of a tree continuing to grow strong and healthy with limitless potential for continued growth. Growth, maturity results in godly fruit 
in our lives. I think we need to ask ourselves, in the context of St. Paul's words here in Philippians chapter 3, though, what does it mean to be mature? How is this maturity characterized? Does mature mean perfect? Or that we or any believer somehow has, has arrived, that we've attained the maximum level of spiritual maturity pop possible in this life? Well, the answer to that is clearly and absolutely no. Look again a few verses back at what St. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Maturity is not perfection or having arrived. Maturity means steady, consistent spiritual growth. So how do we continue to grow and mature? Well, first of all, we need to understand it is not a formula. It is not a list of do's and don'ts. We have this bent in our culture to always want a formula for everything. And that is not the way the Christian life works. But there are key components, both individual components like prayer, spending time in the presence of the Lord, reading, but also meditating on God's word, giving of our time, our service, our gifts, and our talents to God, cultivating and allowing the spirit of God to work in us, a kingdom mindset where we see things with the eyes of God and our lives and our resources then are aligned according to the priorities of his kingdom. And that our lives reflect the reality of the transforming power of Christ. And we share our faith both in word and deed. Corporately, we worship together with other believers. Hebrew 10.25 reminds us, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's active life. Not busyness, but active life in the local church. Godly relationships and accountability, iron sharpening iron, receiving the sacraments regularly. And biblical maturity builds steadily upon and consistently upon growth that has already occurred. It's important also to realize that growth, maturity, involves choice. Author Graham Scogie addresses this issue by saying this, too many Christians live on the right side of Easter, but the wrong side of Pentecost. The right side of pardon, but the wrong side of power. The right side of forgiveness, but the wrong side of fellowship. They're out of Egypt, but have not reached the land of promise and blessing. They're still wandering about in the wilderness. The reality is that godly thinking grows out of being, of being in the presence of the Lord. And it also grows out, if you will, of right thinking. But by that, I mean spending time with God, knowing Christ more int intimately, not just something that is purely or exclusively cognitive. Look at what God's word through St. Paul says here in the beginning of verse 15. Those of us who are mature... Those of us who are mature should what? Should think 
this way. Think again, not just head, not just cognitive, but spiritual insight, godly discernment. And that is a continuing process. And maturity produces fruit. Continued growth and spiritual maturity produces results. As we gain a deeper understanding of God, his character, his ways, and as that is applied in our lives, the fruit of that godly growth will be evident. And Philippians chapter 3, verses 15 through 16, speaks of or implies three different results of Christian maturity. Not that this is by any means an exclusive list, but these are three results of Christian maturity that St. Paul highlights here. The first is this in the middle of verse 15. Fruit maturity produces a godly perspective. All of us who are mature take such a view. A godly perspective, perspective brings growth, which then produces even, an even greater level of godly understanding and discernment. Again, we've already talked about this some, but, but growth needs to be ongoing. We need to posture ourselves in a way in our relationship with God that, that cultivates growth and creates space, makes room for the Spirit of God to work in us, to conform us more and more to the image of Christ. If we don't, we can be like a shark in a tank. I don't know if you know anything about sharks growing, but sharks, if they're placed in an aquarium... A shark that has the capacity to grow to, or the potential to grow to eight or 10 feet, that shark can also be maturely, fully mature at six inches or 12 inches. Did you know that? And they will adjust in their maturing process and their growth to the environment in which they live. That can also happen to us as Christians. If we choose to place ourselves in a way that is very limited, if we, if we don't place ourselves before the Lord in such a way that we make room and space for him to work in our lives, we'll swim around as little six-inch Christians in a puddle for the rest of our lives. But if we open ourselves to the Lord into all of his work, into all of the work that he wants to do in us, we continue to grow and grow and grow. Again, there's an individual aspect to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 11 through 12 reminds us, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. We have received, if we are believers, the indwelling spirit of God. And he, as we open ourselves to the work of the Lord, will enable us to understand the things of God. But there's also a corporate aspect to this godly perspective that comes with maturity. Ephesians 4, 11 through 15 tells us, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children 
tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And that happens as we come together as believers to sharpen one another. Maturity, spiritual adulthood, if you will, means growing in godly perspective, godly insight, and godly understanding. Secondly, here in chapter 3 of verse 15, maturity produces godly unity. A commitment to unity among believers where we are committed because of our growing maturity to godly unity. Look at the last sentence of verse 15. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Now, St. Paul is not addressing opposition here in the Philippian church. That didn't exist at Philippi for the most part. He's not anticipating a disagreement or an argument with them or a conflict. Rather, the emphasis is on God's continuing work among them with St. Paul together. All of them, including St. Paul, they trust each other. They agree on the majors, the key points, the non-negotiables of the faith. And perhaps on some less important matters, they might have some different perspectives or some minor variations in understanding. But here is the fruit of maturity. Because Paul is confident that these things too, these are things too in which God will bring them to unity as they continue to grow and mature and seek him. Why? Because they are seeking God. Because they desire to know Christ in an ever fuller and greater measure. They desire to allow God to speak to them by his spirit and his word. And even through their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, thinking differently here is not talking about the essentials of the faith or matters of Christian principle, those things that are non-negotiables in the kingdom. But we all need to allow God to move us along toward unity in Him, unity in Christ, and unity with one another together. The reality is this, that yes, God moves us along, but back to that thinking piece, unity is also a conscious choice. A choice to put the interests of our brothers and sisters first. The interest of the kingdom of God and the work of his church and this church as a whole ahead of personal agendas. To where we may have preferences for certain things. I may have preferences for certain things, but my preferences don't get in the way of the work and the will of God and the unity of the people of God. And we individually together, we individually and together are growing to more fully reflect Christ. Christian author Chuck Swindoll says this, one of the marks of Christian maturity is the ability to disagree without becoming disagreeable. Did you hear that? And then he continues, union has an affiliation with others, but no common bond that makes them one in heart. Uniformity has everyone looking and thinking alike. Unanimity is complete agreement across the board. Unity, however, 
refers to a oneness of heart, a similarity of purpose, and an agreement on the major points of doctrine. Maturity produces unity. Why? Because as we mature in our faith, our understanding of God and His ways and our love for Him and His truth grows in ever-increasing measure. We cannot grow in knowledge and love of God and grow in love for Him and His truth and not grow in love for His church and love for our brothers and sisters in Christ and in love for the unity of the people of God. And then thirdly, the final fruit resulting from maturity in Philippians 3, 15 through 16 is what I call grace-filled living. We see it in verse 16. And you may think this term is a little odd or a little off when you look at it in terms of the way I've characterized this, but look at verse 16 with me. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Maturity produces greater maturity. Why? Because this is one of the key works of the holy marks of the work of the Holy Spirit in each of us and in all of us together. Hear me. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not about do's and don'ts. It's not about our efforts or striving somehow in the flesh to do something on our own. No, it's about the work of the Spirit of God in us and through us and among us. It's about knowing Christ and knowing Him more fully. It's about continual growth in God's grace. And that grace, that holding on to what we have attained by God's grace, it produces an increasingly deeper sense of gratitude to God for who He is and what He has done in our lives and the life of this church. And that growth and maturity will lead us, it will produce an accurate assessment of ourselves, which reminds us just of our own brokenness and frailty and fallenness. And that all of this wonderful salvation, all of this wonderful ongoing growth in grace, it is from God. It's this growth to maturity is by God's gracious hands. Growing, maturing is essential. As we grow more fully, we gain the mind of Christ. But we have to cultivate the soil. It requires that work of the Spirit, that spiritual laboring on my part and on yours. You know, I've got a lot of automated stuff in my dahlia garden because I couldn't keep up with it otherwise. So I've got a timer that comes on every day. Water is at 7.30 in the morning for 8 to 15 minutes, depending on the temperature, and it comes back on that evening. I've got a fertilizer injector that injects the fertilizer into the system every time that system comes on. I've got netting so I don't have to tie my dahlias up. But you know what? I've still got to get out there and work. I've got to pull the weeds I've got to cultivate the soil. There is no garden that grows to maturity without a gardener. And there is no Christian life of maturity that comes without us cultivating the soil of our lives and posturing ourselves for the work of God so that he can pour in his riches 
and his truth. So my question today as we close is this. Are you, am I maturing? Is your life, is my life producing the fruit that is in keeping with maturity? Or are you or I, are we stuck somehow in one place? Or even moving backwards? I think if we're honest, all of us have been there at one time or another where we felt kind of stuck in our spiritual life. Raising my hand, identifying, can you relate to that? But we need to ask God to help us to get unstuck, to move on to maturity. And he will do that. And it may take um, a season of of retreat, of pulling back. It may take working with a spiritual director, which if you don't have a spiritual director, there's a wonderful list of Anglican spiritual directors in this area that we can, male and female, that we can refer you to. Um, I, I, I will attest for myself that my Christian life wouldn't be nearly what it has been in the past 10 or 15 years without a spiritual director. But we're not just going to get, if we're in one of those dry, un, those dry places where we feel stuck, we're not going to get unstuck by just kicking back and coasting. It's going to take rethinking. It's going to take asking God, opening ourselves, and perhaps walking with a brother or sister in spiritual friendship to move forward. Walking to, And churches get stuck too. I'm not saying that all saints are stuck, but churches get stuck too in seasons and in the lives of, of that community of believers. We feel ourselves getting to that place. We need to ask God to infuse us with the presence, the power of his spirit to get us unstuck individually and corporately and move us into the future that he has according to his will. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your incredible grace. Thank you, God, for your call for us, to us, to mature, to grow, become even more firmly rooted and established and built up in our faith, as you say in Colossians. So, Father, I pray that for those of us who may be somehow feeling stuck, or even as we've, that we've moved somehow backward, that by the gracious work of your Spirit, you would bring us to a place of fresh growth. That the soil of our hearts and our lives and the life of this church may be cultivated. That we could go on to greater strength and maturity and spiritual thinking and discernment in you. And that we would grow to be the people and the church you continue to call us to be. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.